Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 27th of January 2011. For newcomers, go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website and help yourself to the hundreds of audios that are up there for a free download. Remember, all the sites listed there have the audios for download. If you find sticking on the com site, try the alternate sites. Uh, too many folk go into the, the com, uh, especially right after the show. So try these alternate sites. And remember, too, a lot of these sites have um, transcripts in English of a lot of the talks, too, for print-up. If you want transcripts in other languages, go into Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu, and take your pick from the choice offered there. And remember that I, you're the audience that bring me to you. I don't uh, take money from advertisers. I don't bring on the guests to really sell you things and so on. And uh, so I try and get as much packed into an hour as possible. So it's up to you to keep me going. And I could do it the other way, certainly, absolutely. But uh, I try it this way, hoping that I can keep uh, scraping by, which is a bit crazy, I suppose, really. And many have told me that, too. However, you can buy the books and discs I have for sale, and that will help me, hopefully, at cuttingthroughthemedics.com. And remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can purchase them uh, with a personal check or an international postal money order from your post office. Some people just send cash, and you can also use PayPal. You'll see the sites all have the PayPal button on them for donations. Use that one and follow it up by an email with your name and address and order, and I'll get it out to you. Across the world, you do have Western Union for direct wire transfer. You have MoneyGram, which does the same. MoneyGram gives you the option of purchasing a check from them, which you post. It's a lot cheaper. It takes about seven days to get here and uh, save you some cash. Some people just send cash. And, again, PayPal to order. Use the donation button, as I say, followed by an email with your name, address, and the order, and I'll get it out to you as fast as I can. And remember, too, folks, donations are accepted, just straight donations, because that's really um, what will help me to tickle over here, or trickle over, I should say. It's not a tickle, it's a, it's a pain, actually. But that's the way it is. We have to do what we have to do at this time as we're going through the biggest transformation of society, uh, a, re- a real coup that's been pulled off, a coup that was designed, uh, designed a long time ago, an awful long time ago, in fact, in England and London, and uh, the idea of the British Commonwealth that would be expanded and then it would submerge itself, apparently, into a League of Nations and then a United Nations. And, of course, the same people who ruled England, and the Commonwealth countries, a good part of the, a good chunk of the planet, then would rule the whole planet. And they are, they have the, the United Nations today as a front for what they do. That's why the Queen goes off and speaks at all these big international meetings. Uh, they, they try and say that she's only a, a, a titular head with no power, which is absolute rot. Uh, she, she owns millions of acres across the planet. In fact, one sixth of the air she owns of habitable, habitable area. 
And uh, that's not a bad little do for a little old lady that just inherited some wealth because she's in the lucky gene club. But uh, that's what we're told as she goes around the world telling people really what to do but by opening all the big international meetings. When she advises them to go along with it, uh, that's an order. And they do because she's up to her, her neck with the, 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 the city, the banks of, of London and the city there who really run the globe and the economics of the planet and all of the other countries across the world. Very important person. Uh, so that's the way it really is. We are, we're still in a feudal system for those who haven't figured that out. And Carl Quigley also talks about it in his book that they're going into a better, a better, a new feudal system. Well, we're in it, folks. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, talking about the old feudal system, which is the same old feudal system that's always been the feudal system of what was called at one time the British Empire. People in Britain didn't profit from this empire. The the ones who owned Britain profited off it, of course, and they used the cattle, the the, the soldiers, to to go across the, the world for a few pennies a day and slaughter other peoples to make sure that they behaved themselves and subdued them so that big business could move in. And the big businesses and corporations were owned uh, really from the crown all the way down through all the relatives. And it's nothing actually changed today, in fact, from that aspect. I mentioned uh, a video that's worth trying to get hold of on Rosie. Uh, they called her Rose or Rosie um, Newman who was the daughter of one of the wealthiest bankers of the the 20s and 30s. And uh, she came from Germany over to London, uh, stinking rich, of course, lived on dad's pocket change, and um, got her own Rolls-Royce, had a a, a apartments block that she she hired, actually, or rented, which was about the size of a a New York City block. But... um, they had tremendous money in those days. And, and this was the days of the British Empire when she moved over to London. Uh, they still had India and different countries. They hadn't, hadn't gone through the con game of pretending to give them independence as long as they wrapped themselves into the United Nations. That was part of the deal because they owned the United Nations, you see, at the top. And uh, it's staggering to see the wealth displayed on the video as she did her little tours of uh, the British Raj and different places. And, she, of course, she lived with uh, the big appointees that were all cousins of the Queen, generally, the, the governor-generals for these places. That's a feudal system, you understand. We still have governor-generals yet in Canada, in Australia, and elsewhere that must sign every law passed by your supposedly uh, elected government. They still, and even the pro- provinces in Canada have lieutenant governors. It's like a sub one, uh, all again uh, reporting back daily to the Queen, and they sign off on all laws, and they pretend you've got some kind of democracy. The elite back in Rose's day had no no um, idea of giving out their power, never. And of course, they're not stupid people. The people who got an empire together and controlled it for such an awful long time were not stupid people. Never ever think that for a second. As they looted the planet and built the biggest corporations that are still uh, in existence today, their own corporations. And um, as I say, look at this video and just have a look at the extravagance 
uh, of uh, how this little uh, rich girl uh, went around living in these big palaces, etc., having all these parades and shows on, put on for her, uh, traveling on the golf courses across the British Empire that were all owned again by the Crown, since the Crown owned everything, and um, watching all the big parades put on for her delight. You know, it's very boring at her level of society, nothing to do. But uh, that was never really given up in, in a sense. The feudal system where you appoint uh, military personnel or give them military titles uh, is still in existence today. You'll see the same military titles, by the way, used in the League of Nations, which they set up too through the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which they own. And uh, you, you'll see it too through the United Nations, lieutenant governors, governors, generals. This is all the same system uh, that was going on way back before even Rosie was born. Because if you go into the writings of Carol Quigley, as I say, who was the historian for the big group that was to do a lot of the work for, for this and still is doing most of the work, um, the, the, it's a Royal Institute for International Affairs. The, today they call it, in those days it was the Cecil Rhodes Group, uh, coupled with the Mil- Lord Milner Group, who was brought in from Germany, by the way. And, um, and in fact, most of the guys who worked with Milner were Germanic in origin. And uh, and then their sons came in in the business too, and they helped take over South Africa. They caused a war there, and it was done by intrigue and lies, and even put a reporter from the Times over with them, I think it was, which they owned as well, by the way, and uh, who said that the, the Boers had attacked British settlers. And, of course, the British government came in, which they wanted to do, and to save the settlers that were not being harmed at all, and took over the area for the flag, you see, for the crown. But anyway, Quigley, as I said, did document this in the Anglo-American establishment. And if you don't understand history or you wonder where all the blank bits go, uh, read his book because he fills in the blank bits and and all the different players involved uh, and why the wars are caused, uh, who's behind it, who wants them. And it's always the same group because through conflict they, they decided they would speed up the evolutionary process of society and bring in this, this world society, this global society. Now remember, in the 1800s, they already, as I say, owned a good chunk of the world. And they had boards and committees and, and various groups working in special areas over this vast territory. And what they did too is no different today, uh, just like the military now send, send anthropologists in with them when they go into other countries to study the people, find their weak links, how to use them, how to con them. Well, that's exactly what uh, the British did, uh, or at least the English. Um, I, I don't even want to call them English or British because it's really a London crew uh, with people who, who don't even belong in the country, to be honest with you. The royalty doesn't belong there. And um, they, can, they were brought in from Germany as well. But anyway... They've run the, the, the system by using groups and committees uh, that uh, employ, they're really big think tanks, and they plan the specific areas, specialized areas of all kind of commerce, trade, right down to societal structure and so on. And they vary it from country to country, but they're still doing it today. Um, it's fascinating to, to to read some of the old books when they talked about this, this silly democracy. Winston Churchill in the early days was dead set against it. And uh, he he also knew that they'd have to con the public by letting them... Let the little fools believe they've got a democracy. Learn their language. What do they talk about in democracy? Learn their language and then use it for our our agenda. You understand? 
And that's what they do now. They're still doing the same thing now because the Royal Institute for International Affairs is still going. The Council of Foreign Relations, the American branch, is still going, very strong. And they use the terminology to help people. They want to help people across the world. They want to stop global warming. They've got their billions that they, they, from the last uh, global climate summit that they wanted that won't go towards that. It's going to go to setting up the infrastructure of massive bureaucracy and across the whole planet. The same con as they used to get the European Union going, uh, supposedly for free trade. They, they, they set up the structure to actually build the parliament and all of the, the, the structures within the parliament. That's, just, that's the, the, the working structures, the people and so on. That's what's to happen. And, of course, the world's resources will stay in, in the hands of the same people. It's a fascinating world we live in. And the media is never going to tell you this because every major newspaper is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Every TV anchorman, every, every media mogul is a member of the same group. And I've gone through some of the histories of when they formed these groups for, for, just for the media itself. And how back in the, the early 20s, um, I think it was uh, Morgan and, uh, or Morgan Taw and uh, Rockefeller got together and found out how many papers they'd have to own to influence all the rest of the papers, because the smaller papers follow the big ones, and create public opinion. And it was quite easy to do, and I think they settled on 17 major ones. Now it's all of them. And that's why you have press barns that eventually go over to London to get knighted by the Queen. That's why it happens that way. That's what happened to Conrad Black, who owned Hollinger Corporation, along with Barbara Walters and Kissinger. They all, they were all big shareholders in that corporation. So the people who are giving you the news are also owners of the news, and they make sure that you get exactly what you need to know, which is never the truth. So here we are today. If you've noticed, there's a real... A real almost a blackout on news. We're getting thrown at the bottom of the sack, the feeding sack where you feed the chickens. There's not much left in it. And uh, what we're getting is GM food anyway. So uh, we're getting rubbish, in other words, for, for news today. We're being taught that we're living in a system where it's authoritarian. But we'll just get decrees passed from above somewhere. It might just get passed in your local area. As, as policies, as they like to call them now, are introduced by your councils and so on. They just happen to be in line if you check them up with every other policy across the world, a counterpart across the world. And that's how they're doing things. And they're also going into a new technique of shielding the politicians away from the public. At one time, uh, they tell the politicians, your job is to fool the public and, and spin things off to them, but appear to them at least, make them believe they have some kind of representation and, and, uh, and, and government. And now they're not bothering to do that. They get little press releases, uh, which are staged, of course, and photo ops of, of ribbon cuttings. But the big things that are really happening across the world are, are being shielded from the public. And we get the news for either from a UN agency or something like that. That's how it's being introduced. Now, all academia is in on this. All of it. They brought academia on board in the very early phases of this. It started with the grants that were put out by the foundations to the academies and universities. And then gradually in came the demands. We'd like you to push this, uh, not to, to push that, and not even discuss this, etc., etc. And that's how it's been for a hundred years now. 
in, across the whole of the Americas and the same Britain elsewhere. That's how you run a, 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 you must, to control people and give them their thoughts, you must make sure that, that the thoughts that they get are the correct thoughts that you want them to have. Doesn't have to be truth, just the correct ones, the ones you've decided upon. It's astonishing that nothing really has changed to say. Now, Carol Quigley also did say that we're going into a new, a new feudal system. And it'll be disguised, it's the same old system, but disguised by CEOs of corporations who will be the new feudal overlords. But really, they're like the lieutenant governors for, for, or lieutenant governors for or, or Canada or the provinces. It's the same thing. That's what they are. The queen and all the rest of those at the top of the pyramid are still in command with the, uh, the gnomes of Zurich, as we call them as well. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back and cutting through the matrix. And as a matrix indeed, you've got to go through all these different levels and layers to try and find any glimpse of reality. And even then when you think you've found it, you'll find you've got to go through another wall to get to another layer or a level of it too. And that's how this system has worked because we are really treated like children and we always have been. And uh, we're kept like children, so much so that even the major news admit that the the most... uh, they give you and, and their, their writing uh, columns and so on as about the fifth level grade uh, maximum, anything more than that. And it confuses a lot of people now because everyone's so dumbed down. And even more so since they're all watching videos, etc., they don't read anymore at all. So you've got minimalistic language being used, and people who have minimalistic language cannot explain anything in any depth to anyone. They can't convey the meanings they're trying to get across to them. The other ones cannot understand, kind of like Idiocracy, the movie. And that's actually here, and that was discussed. They would bring the society to this stage back in the 1930s. When, because they were worried about folk reading so much, uh, especially the, at that time it was left wing and there's so many different unions on the go and starting up. They were worried about them uh, getting good orators, etc., and putting out good literature. And um, they, they, they decided to bring out penny books instead. It's a lot cheaper for people. They bought them up, novels and all that kind of stuff. However, uh, the, uh, Orwell talks about that in his book 1984, and he says... Uh, the dictionary would get thinner and thinner every year, and that's what's happened. Uh, it's, it's very thin today. If you watch the average Hollywood movie, apart from the, the F word and uh, the F uh, M word and, um, and a whole bunch of these kind of things, uh, there's not much really left in it at all. Uh, they can make much sense of or use. Uh, that's how simplistic things are today. There's no plots in anything. There's just chases, slaughters, and sex, and so on. And that's what they feed the public. Because, you see, people who are utterly debased um, are easily to, easy to control. Plus, they emulate what they see in one way or another. And uh, it's, it's good for business. It's good for the legal business when they get to, uh, they, they start to, to emulate their superheroes. And it's good for uh, destroying the family unit, which, of course, these guys knew a long time ago they'd have to do. Because even the British, the British Raj, as they say, and the British Commonwealth countries, they knew that um, that their biggest problem was getting people, especially families, which were basically the remnants of uh, clans, tribes. That's what they represent, in a sense, 
uh, they had to get rid of them because government would never be omnipotent until they got that out of the way. And that's been done very successfully today. So other countries, of course, you can still allow them to have families. The Chinese aren't bad. They still don't rebel. And, um, but the British people, of course, that was a big, a big thing. They'd stand up for, for each other. And families tend to talk to other families because it's so much in common. And before you know it, you've got a big crowd ready to say, no, we, we won't do this or won't have that. So that's gone now. That is gone now. So there's not much problems coming really from Britain. The students get up once in a while. Generally, students in the past got up because they were angry about something that the professors were drumming into them one way or another because the professors were the ones who wanted them to push for certain things across the world, the very things that the Royal Institute of International Affairs wanted them to push for. And that's still being used today, that technique for the globalization. Uh, when a lot of these students get into these meetings, and some of the NGOs are allowed in now because they're getting paid by the foundations that run them, uh, then their first question is, are you going to pay the Chinese workers more? Well, listen, if you, if you can't take care of your own house first and get any power in your own house, which is your home, uh, then why on earth are you, you trying to get power for people across the world? If you can't feed yourself at home, for instance, and you're dependent on food being brought in, there's something far wrong with you if you're worried about folk feeding themselves across the world. And then ask yourselves, why can't they feed themselves across the world? Because at one time they could. And you'd be shocked to find a lot of the answers about it. We're con so many ways that people never stop and think. And they'll never go into the old books to find out why. They won't read the old policy reports from the big think tanks and all the rest of it. They don't do that. And of course, the professors won't tell them, since the professors all belong to the CFR as well. Now, the students in Britain recently were writing because their, their grants were getting cut back uh, quite heftily, too. And uh, they don't know where the money is going, of course, and we know it's going elsewhere. But, you see, the European Union, this big monolithic, uh, non-democratic structure, this new Soviet really, system, which is ideal for, for those, the bigwigs, the money banks to run and own, because, you see, at the top you've got a fascist system, and then you've got this, this intermediate layer of uh, the pretense of um, democracy called governments, and, and the governments now run on a, a Soviet-type system where they just dictate down to the public, and they're into every area of your, your life, every single area of your life. That's a communistic style for the masses. And, of course, yet the fascist style for the ones at the top. That's really why it's designed that way. But here's an article here, and it's from the European Management Institute. And, again, one of these fuzzy things that comes out of nowhere, you think they do, at least. And uh, you'll check where, who's on the boards of it, and all the big acad- academia is on the, uh, the board of it, actually and um, where the campuses are and so on, and they're training foreign students, you see, and giving them grants and scholarships and all the rest of it to open up their own countries. So you're paying for them. That's where a lot of your cash is going. Anyway, it says the, it says the mission is to reorganize and admit the high-caliber work of university students in developing countries through award of credits and degrees in order to ensure that their latent talent is brought to the center space of the global world. Everything's global. There's no point bitching about it now. We've been global for a while. Uh, And I'll read the rest of this article when I come back from this break.
are listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. Reading an article about European Management Institute, which is setting up a system to, again, using the taxpayer from Britain and elsewhere, to fund uh, different students across China, India, and so on. That's where the money is going that used to go to students in, in their own countries. Anyway, it says here, to provide Asian students students with executives and experience of leadership and innovative programs in a European environment, facilitating their greater exposure and hence better integration into the global environment. To provide quality executive education programs for senior management in Europe with a focus on Asia, China, India, etc., with a focus on markets, financial systems, opportunities, and cultures, and so on. This is only one of many of them that they've set up to do this very thing. And as I say, it's global, 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 and global has been taught, and globalism has been taught in universities now for years and years and years, so it's a done deal. It's a done, done deal. It's gone, you see. And you still have this pretense, only election times, that you actually have a country, or when they want you to go off and fight wars for them, they'll still pull it. It's amazing they can even do that. You think the folks would say, because before 9-11 happened, the the cry for 10 years solid from the newscasters was globalism this, globalism that. And suddenly again, we're all national again uh, to get the armies up. Once the armies are over and done their job, we're back to globalism again. It's like changing hats, and they don't notice. This is astonishing to me that folk don't notice this. But they don't, do they? And again, don't ever think the ones at the top are stupid. They notice all this stuff. They got the pulse of the public all the time. And they know exactly what we're thinking because they tell us what to think uh, through their media corporations and their entertainment industries. But uh, that's really what's um, going on. All these different think tanks working. And they have levels of them too, working for the banks, etc., they call them circles. Some of them call Cecil Road called them circles, where uh, maybe one or two on each board would interlap with another circle, and uh, they call them the circle of friends, of course. And that's how the term was used and started up. It, it hasn't changed today. It goes all the way up to this giant pyramid at the top, and we're just the peasants down below. And everything you're going through today, and the heartaches you're going through, folk losing their homes watching the big banks getting bailed out after plundering the planet. And, and then your great-grandchildren, if you even bother having any, uh, will have to pay off the debt forever and ever. Amen. Which is impossible. Uh, and there was perpetual slavery is what they want for every generation that comes along. And all generations and all cu- cultures will do, all nations will do. They don't care. Because those at the top don't see any difference whatsoever between the peasant of Britain, Ireland, Scottish, or Scotland, or Wales, Canada, or anywhere else, or China. They're all just peasants to them. That's what they are. And again, going back to the so-called British Commonwealth country days, when it was blatant for those who could travel in those circles. It wasn't blatant to the people back home. You never saw the the kind of things that Rosie Newman put out for the elite to watch on her travels with her camera. Uh, They had no idea, for instance, in Britain, they were building 40,000 miles of rails uh, to to loot the country of all its natural resources for the corporations that were owned by the crown and all the relatives. They had no idea. They paid for all that. They had no idea the massive palaces these governor generals were living in 
and their, and their polo matches every day and the cost of everything. They had no idea they were paying for all of that at all. And they got nothing out of it. They were told back home to tighten their belts, tighten their belts all the time as you got taxed and taxed and taxed. Well, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. We're, we're paying for the global plantation. Remember this whole idea of globalism started in London a long, long time ago. Long time ago. As I say, Cecil Rhodes definitely was a front man, no doubt about it, and he was in partnership with Lord Rothschild. You can get the Rhodes diaries and so on. Uh, they're, they're well available. You'll find them in universities too, in their libraries and elsewhere. And the idea was to unite all the British Commonwealth countries into a system which eventually would become a worldwide system and also to bring America back into the fold with representation on the, the board. And they set up their, their, their round table societies that are still on the go today, by the way, in every area. And they set up eventually the, the Milner Group with the Road Society and formed the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations in the USA and across the rest of the world too. And now, of course, every member of parliament at the top in the European Parliament is a member of the European Institute for International Affairs, still still taking their orders from London. It's a worldwide agenda. They've run Australia since the, for the last 120 years, and New Zealand too. Every prime minister they've had has been a member of this group. And the folk don't know it. Every president of the United States since the late 1800s has been a member of this group. And again, Carl Quigley documented that in his book, Tragedy and Hope, and the Anglo-American Establishment. Must-reads. Must-reads. Now, as we go through this big shake-up, like Rockefeller says, you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. So what you're seeing is they get you taught, they're teaching you to not be consumers. We're post-consumerists now, apparently, and we're into austerity. We'll start to pay big taxes to help the rest of the world get on its feet, supposedly, which is all, all nonsense, by the way. It won't get to the people. Uh, any cash that they do tax off you is to get big institutions and, and the ruling structures set up and across the, across the world, the same ruling structures of governance, as it's called. That's what the money is to go for. All this con about global warming and all the money that the, uh, the rates in for, for, for saving the environment, that's where that's all going to. And um, as, they, as they make this omelette, and we're all the broken eggs, we're all the, the eggshells and bits and pieces here and there, you know. Uh, that's just too sad, too bad, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm sure they weep for us at the top. I'm sure, I'm sure they feel our pain. But um, we can see, as I said last night too, about how the, even the police are treating the public differently now. And they've got a different education in the police forces. They're using military education where they're apart from the public. They're not part of the public anymore. They're apart from the public. They're a brotherhood unto themselves. They are a fraternity of police, a brotherhood. And, um, and they're made paranoid by the lectures they get against the citizenry, really paranoid. And, of course, these are the biggest consumers of all these crazy movies that are out there with the black uniforms and SWAT teams. These guys chomp these things up. That's why they recruit that type that, that watch all the movies too. But uh, something bad is coming, as we well know. And it's got to happen as they bring us all down further and further into this so-called planned austerity 
and into the Greening projects because they're going to, under the Agenda 21, Millennium Goals and Sustainable Development, we've all to go off the land, etc., get crammed out of the urban areas even, and then crammed into the existing cities. And it won't be forever. We'll die off. We won't have children anyway. Most folk don't. And... Um, in about the year 2050, they hope to restructure the world for a new type of society to come. This is all written about, documented from the sources themselves. And out of Britain comes um, uh, this article on the police and how they're going to uh, use different tactics now. Police might have to adopt more extreme tactics to deal with a new breed of protesters who took parts in riots in London last month, one of the country's most senior officers said. The student stage four protests late last year against government plans to raise university tuition fees, each being marred by violence. The the final demonstration, December the 9th, led to the worst riots in the capital for years, with protesters attacking the car of Prince Charles. It says Hugh Ord, the president of, of the Association of Chief Police Officers, said the speed with which new protest groups had organized demonstrations and their lack of willingness to cooperate had created a whole new dimension to public order. Uh, an interview with Prospect magazine published today, he said there had to be a realization that a lack of communication from protesters would prompt a different police response. The public do not understand, or do understand, he says, far better why police tactics do have to be seen as slightly more extreme if they are fully appreciative of the fact that the only reason we're doing this is that these people will not engage with us pre-event, he said. Well, if they do engage with them pre-event, they put them in these kettling situations where they kettle them into a part of the city, and that's where they end up uh, killing folk sometimes, you know. Um, not the protesters, but the police. But uh, this is the new type of demonstrations, you see. You've got to get permission. They put, they, they wire off a whole area, especially when the elite come in, and uh, you're half a mile away from anybody's going to see your flag or your protest banner waving, so what's the point in going? Now, it says more demonstrations are expected as impact the government's austerity measures to reduce the country's budget deficit begin to bite. And you will see more trouble because there's no doubt about it, they're taking down the system. And they don't want an educated system from Britain, uh, really, anyway. Uh, they prefer taking the people from the Ivy League schools, uh, from Oxford, Cambridge, as they always have done. They don't need all the lesser ones from the red brick uh, universities, as the Oxford used to call them. And... Um, and that's why they're doing this too. Plus, they've got to fund all these students abroad in Asia, in China and India, uh, because they can really use them to help loot their own countries on behalf of the same guys that looted Britain. That's what it's all really all about. And in Britain too, they're, they're training their children now to uh, photograph what they call speeders. This is what they give you. Now, I'll tell you, there's another reason behind this. Uh, speeders on the road. It says volunteers to be given speed cameras to help clock repeat offenders. And it says speeding motorists will soon be facing the short arm laws. Primary school, that's five and six years of age. Um, pupils prepare to sign up for their own handheld speed cameras. The community road watch scheme, which is designed to put skids on inconsiderate drivers and speeding hotspots around the town, has been rolled out by Humberside Police next month. This is a test, you see, for the rest of the country. And residents ranging from Children to pensioners will be asked to take part to help clock repeat offenders in the neighborhood. Now remember, these same children have been, forget these children, once they're seven years of age with indoctrination and greening and all the rest of it, and we're all one and all this kind of stuff, um, you'll never get through to them. I'm sorry, 
But the, 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 the scientific indoctrination is too perfected. It was perfected, as Britain Brussels said, in the, in the 40s and 50s. And with these children, they don't have a chance of communicating to you on any level that they understand when you're telling them it's a con or whatever. The real reason behind this is, is also, you see, and when they grow up, they will have no cars. It's training them to, to dislike and perhaps even hate. I hate to use the word, that was true. Uh, motorists, you see, because they want, how is a child going to tell who's speeding and who is not speeding? They're going to start with all the cars, of course. And this is training them uh, that cars are bad. Of course, they won't be photographing buses, you see, because it's public transportation. And this is the real reason behind it. Get them started young, get them against cars, anti-car, and they're all ready for their habitat areas where they'll need a special pass even to get the public transport to move out of it, to visit their granny in the next area and stuff. Well, they won't have a granny, I suppose. Maybe they'll be born in a test tube by the... I don't know. Anyway, that's the way it's going to be, folks. And there's always another reason behind what they do and, and for, for, to, the, to the children and always another reason for it. Now, smart meters, it's an interesting article because you see smart meters are going across the world uh, again under a global agenda and uh, never mentioned the global part of it. And uh, they never ask the consumers about it. They just, you just get a notification, we're putting one in and that's it. You see, they're, they're private companies now that used to belong to the taxpayers because we built up the power stations and all that. We maintained them and then our own politicians who were never ours, of course, in reality, uh, sold them off to themselves and their buddies for peanuts and then jacked all the prices up. Anyway, in come the smart meters. And these smart meters, apparently, uh, and even the little thing I got slipped under the door said that they transmit um, your usage right to the station, whoever's, wherever that, it could be in a different country for all I know, seriously. And it also uses FM and other radio transmission signals. So it's got two, at least two systems it uses. But one of them, what they didn't mention is that the, the radio signal actually is microwave. And this article here is from Canada. It says, smart meters are far more dangerous. How smart is brain cancer? And it says here, um, recently near Stratford, Ontario, I came across my first smart meter with my radio frequency meter. These are the testing meters you can get to, to pick up the, 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 the frequencies on these things that, which are transmitting. I found that the meter was sending up very strong pulses of microwave radiation every few seconds. This puzzled me as to why so much radiation was being emitted. When I received the message below and also the story below, I understood why this was happening. Uh, the Hydro One, that's the company that bought over for peanuts, um, meters throughout Ontario are repeating wireless information from each other. So you're, you're, the ones in your neighborhood are all passing information to each other. And they can use one in an area um, uh, for them all to communicate to. So that one is getting bombarded with microwave radiation. And anyway, it says here, this means that these particular smart meters are far more dangerous and are likely to harm even more people than anticipated. There's a great need to stop this harmful microwave wireless system and use safe wire technology. And um, I'll put this article up at cuttingthroughthematrix.com with the links on it at the end of the show because you can go into the the spiel they give from the, the Hydro One, like the power company, and and other other articles on this particular problem.
It says Hydra One uses the Trillion Network smart meters. The information states that transmitters also repeater, which they call a mesh network, which relays not only your information but up to five other homes uh, if they need to get access points through your house. So they can use your house. And so they're all coming through your house. It states a worst-case scenario that the meter is communicating 3.3% of the time. This is what they state, of course, from their, um, the Hydra One company. Uh, what if this, if, if, what if this per- percentage of your data transmission, how much of that is your actual data transmission? Does that account for your box transmitting the data from the other 500 homes? The repeater could account for a, a Chatham-Kent smart meter that is only supposed to send every 15 minutes. Well, was actually sending microwave signals over 100 times a minute. And then they give you the math to work this out too. So it, it's just amazing. What they do to us, again, we're all disposable in this era, if we understand that. The Queen won't have one at Buckingham Palace, uh, I guarantee you that. But I know when they put this meter on here, I could I could hear the darn thing through the wall. It's on the outside. And the old one, you couldn't. But you hear this one all the time, this hum, the steady hum that it gives off. So I'm going to have to probably put something down inside the house uh, along the wall there to try and get some shielding from it. But this is the stuff that, that they're, they're up to, and uh, they don't tell you anything except what, what you would tell a child if you want to lie to them. That's what they do to the people. That's how they treat the public. That's how we're all treated today. Now, <laughs> what gets me too is, is that the U.S. has still allowed a bit of the Wild West uh, rip-off merchant type, the old snake oil salesman that gets up into politics and fills his pockets and all the rest of it, and the con man. The U.S. still does that more openly than any other country and gets away with it. But uh, I'm going to put up uh, from the Judicial Watch uh, um, website uh, a list of the, the 10 most want, uh, wanted corrupt politicians for 2010. They, they put this out every year. At the end of the year, they put this out. Actually, it starts at 50 and works its way down. But uh, I'll go through some of these after I come back from this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. Just before I read this article on the corrupt politicians, I meant to ask, add this too, uh, that people don't even know, we've been global so long, that the US tax uh, forms that you fill out, and same in Canada, by the way, for, for 10 years or more, uh, is dealt with by India. Did you know that, that all your data has been sent for the last 10 years to India, and they do all your tax receipts and everything else and so on for your, for your annual tax reports? Your personal tax report. Just if you didn't know that, now you do. And back to the corrupt politicians. It says here uh, that uh, Senator Barbara Boxer is there, Ram Emanuel, of course, uh, Senator John Ensign, Rep. Barney Frank, uh, Jesse Jackson, of course, uh, Barack Obama, of course, and as well, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Charles Rangel, uh, Hal Rogers, and Maxine Waters. Then he goes on to give you what they really have been up to. And the fact they get little slaps in their wrist for having... They have lapses in memory, you understand, when they do these things, when they fail to disclose things and mention things. They have lapses, a little epoxic moment and um, a little dizziness, and uh, they forget where, of course, you'd be in the slammer. 
But uh, Boxer, it says, is chair of the Senate Select Committee on Ethics. So, so this, she's an ideal person, isn't she? But it appears she still needs an ethics lesson. She, she presided over a year-long investigation by the Ethics Committee, the Senate one, into whether two of her Senate colleagues, Christopher Dodd and Kent Conrad, received preferential treatment for countrywide financial as part of the company's VIP program because the ethics rules prohibit members from receiving loan terms not available to the general public. In fact, according to the Associated Press, during the Ethics Committee hearing Boxer asked the bulk of the questions, however, Boxer failed to mention or disclose on her official Senate financial disclosure documents that she and her husband have signed no less than seven mortgages with Cunter White herself. <laughs> there you go. It was a little lapse, you understand. At the time of the hearing, she couldn't connect it, you see, to the, what was going on. At the time of the hearing, Boxer reportedly indicated she'd paid off two countrywide mortgages, but did not mention the others. So uh, it goes on and on and on. And then there's Ram Emanuel. You could write books on Ram Emanuel, of course, and his contacts and what he was up to before. He was pushed up and where he is now. And, of course, he's in the ideal place in Chicago where you'll be into the contracts. That's where you get all the kickbacks. Uh, former Obama White House Chief of Staff didn't earn his nickname Rambo for being a mild-mannered drinking violet. He served as Bill Clinton's chief money man at the time when Clinton campaign was corrupted by foreign money. It was all coming from China. He defended the worst of the worst Clinton scandals and, in fact, earned his reputation as a ruthless political combatant by fiercely defending President Clinton in the Monica Lewinsky investigation. That was a sideline, that. I mean, he's, he's Clinton finding novel ways to blow smoke rings with his cigar. Anyway, it says Emmanuel also served on the board of Freddie Mac when the company was involved in fraudulent activity. He was an ideal man for that, isn't he? The bottom line is that when the Clinton's dirty work needed to be done, Emmanuel did it, and partly with, without question. It didn't change under Obama. It's just remember when the Obama White House won to manipulate Democratic primaries in 2010. Obama teamed with his deputy chief of staff, uh, Jim Messina, to allegedly interfere with Senate elections in Pennsylvania and Colorado by offering federal appointments to Rep. Joe Sestak and Andrew Romanoff. Sestak and Romanoff were not Obama's favorite candidates, so Emmanuel and Messina apparently attempted to unlawfully persuade them to abandon their campaigns. But that's pretty typical in the U.S. system. The public have no idea what really goes on. Uh, but uh, it goes on and on and on through all these characters' particular involvements and memory lapses and stuff and the little slaps on the wrist they get like, oh, don't do that again now. And, and they wink at each other and say, okay, you know. And um, that's how it is with them, isn't it? They're untouchable and all the, the thing. So I'll put all these links up, remember, at cuttingthroughthematics.com. Uh, right after the show. Give me an hour or so to start to, to get the loading uh, showing on the webpage. From Hamish, myself, from, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your gods. Go with you.